I've been loving worshiping with you guys. Such a delight. Hey, should we practice our verse? <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm a camper at Hume again. Do you? Do you? Like, we used to memorize a verse every day. We got points. It went towards some kind of credit. A t-shirt. Gosh. We'll have eternal reward, right? All right, let's do it. Do you guys know it? Yeah. Okay. Colossians 3. Let's start. Ready? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. (laughs) Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Okay, we should probably do that one more time, do you think? Like a little more normal speed. Okay, ready? (laughs) Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Oh, so good. Thank you, you guys. I'm really excited about us taking that home with us as a souvenir. Taking a lot of things home with us this weekend, right? This has been a really cool weekend as we've talked about heaven. As I was talking to my mom this week and telling her that Megan and I were about to teach on heaven... She said, you know, it's interesting, Brooke. I've been with a lot of women and men leading up to the end of their life. In the years, in the months, even in the hours before their death. There's not a lot of people who are that excited about going to heaven. They're not that excited about heaven. And it hit me like a gut punch because my mom's been in ministry for 30 years and she's talking about Christians. And it got me thinking, why why is that? Why is it that we aren't out of our minds excited about heaven? We get out of our minds excited for a concert or a a new season of our favorite TV show, right? We're like, yes, it's coming out tonight. I'm canceling my plans. We get out of our minds excited about the entire family being all together in one place for Thanksgiving. If you're my mom's age, don't lie. You know how excited you are about that, right? My mom's, she's been talking about it since January. Why aren't we excited about heaven or more excited about heaven? I started sitting with that before we got anywhere. After I had that conversation with my mom, before we even started this, I I just thought, what? What could be the reasons? What are the reasons for me? And I don't mean to start us on a low note, but for me, I like to walk you guys through just, here's what I'm processing. Here's what I'm doing right now. Here's what the Lord's showing me. And I'm just kind of inviting you into my mind and into my heart. And if I'm going to change my perspective about something, it's really helpful for me to understand where I'm at, what I believe, right? What I believe currently. And so I've been thinking What are those things that keep us from getting out of our minds excited about heaven? And I thought of three. 
And the first is that separation from people we love is really hard. Every time. You know why? Because we were made to be in relationship. We were literally created for it. And so every time it hurts and it's sad because it's not right, right? And here's the problem. Even if we have perfect theology about heaven, even if we have perfect theology about heaven, it's still sad. Even if we know we're going to be reunited with someone, we're going to see them again, they're in a better place, even if we know those truths, we're experiencing a separation in a relationship. And that's not what God made us for. And that's hard, right? I think that's one of the reasons that holds us back. Death. Even though we know we're going to heaven, we're going to be reunited with them again. The second thing is that it's not right in front of us. There are a lot of things that are right in front of us, and it's easy to focus on those things, right? Because we're looking at them every day, and heaven is not right in front of us. It feels far sometimes. And the third reason is that there's this uncertainty around it. You know, we have what Scripture says about heaven. We have this book. But we haven't really seen it with our own eyes, have we? It's different when you've seen something and you're expecting it and anticipating. We haven't seen it, and we can read about it, but some of us even haven't read about it because we're like, I don't even know where to start. Even like hearing Megan talk about all these verses, it's so beautiful, and I long for it. I go, oh my gosh. But then I sit down and ask you, like, what do you know for certain about heaven? Are we confident about what it's going to be? Do you know what I'm saying? There's this uncertainty. And so as I was thinking through these reasons, I thought it's, it's helpful for us to identify what they are so that we can actually address them. And Megan's going to tomorrow address the second thing, that heaven feels far away. She's going to talk about all the ways that it actually is right in front of us. I can't wait for that. And tonight, I'm going to talk about that third thing, that uncertainty. What do we really know for sure about heaven? There's a, there's a lot of text in here. We can search through it and sift through it, and we can read a book. What do we know for sure that we can bank on no matter what? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm so excited because I've been praying for you guys that you would just maybe grow an inch, a centimeter, a hair more excited about heaven this weekend than all of us would, that I would too, just a little bit as we learn the ways that heaven is in front of us and what is true about it. I can't wait for us to grow in our longing for it. That's what we're hoping to do this weekend, for us to just grow a little bit more excited so that we are women who are not just excited when we're nearing the end, but we're women who are excited and longing for it now, okay? So I'm going to start now, actually, but I just wanted to share that with you. Let's pray. Let's open the word. Let's go to the Father together. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. For this place that your presence dwells. I think about all of the women who have been in this exact building 
over the years and who have encountered you. Year after year, retreat after retreat, this is a holy space, Lord, where your presence dwells and has dwelled. Thank you for bringing us here. I pray that we might have an encounter with you tonight, Lord. Nothing else really matters. So would you lead us in that? Lead us through your word. Give us excitement about heaven tonight. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if we're going to know anything for certain about heaven, Megan read, read a ton of verses from the Old and the New Testament about it yesterday, but I want to know, what does Jesus have to say about heaven? Okay? And there's this phrase that Jesus uses again and again and again when he's talking about heaven, over and over and over. Do you know what it is? Does anybody know what it is? He says, here's what he says, my father in heaven. That's the phrase. He says, my father in heaven. Jesus wants us to know that heaven is the eternal dwelling place of God, like Megan said last night. Heaven is God's eternal dwelling place. Is that the exact phrase you used? Nailed it. Heaven is God's eternal dwelling place. Let me just read a few of these verses. I don't need you to write them down. I just want you to listen to the common thread as I list these verses off to you. Matthew 6, 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that it may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 12, 50, whoever does of the, the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 18, 19, again I say, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it shall be done by them, by my Father who is in heaven. He keeps going. I could keep going on and on and on are all these references about our Father in heaven. And then there's this whole nother set of references that capture the phrase, my heavenly father. And they flow out of Jesus' mouth so seamlessly, these words that I don't even know if we would consider these verses about heaven because they're just kind of tacked on to the end, this little phrase, my father in heaven. Check out this verse, the last one that I read, Matthew 18, 19. Have you heard this verse before? Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it shall be done for them. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Raise, you ha raise your hand if you've heard the end part that says, by my Father in heaven. You know what I mean? We just kind of chop the verse off. And we're like, oh, well, that's about agreement on earth, right? It's not a verse about heaven, but it totally is a verse about heaven. All of these are verses about heaven. What is Jesus doing He's taking all of these concepts and ideas about things on earth, and he's saying, everything has eternal impact. You actually can't separate earth from heaven. You can't separate it. These are all verses about heaven because they're verses about things on earth that have a heavenly impact. And then he takes it one step further. He says, you can't separate earth from heaven, and you can't separate heaven 
from God. You can't separate. This is just one big flow. Colossians 3, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. And then what's that next little phrase? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's where he is, at the right hand of God. And that's where we're to set our hearts and minds. So tonight, here's where I want to go. If we can't separate earth from heaven, and we can't separate heaven from God, how do we live now in such a way that we are preparing for heaven by encountering the Lord and experiencing now and also at the same time awaiting the day that we are in his presence in heaven? That's the question of the night. That's where we're going because he made us to be in his presence. He designed it that way all the way back to Adam and Eve. He designed us to be in his presence. He created us to be in his presence. And then what happened? Sin came into the picture, remember? And do you know the very first consequence of sin? What happened? Separation from God. Adam and Eve covered themselves and then they hid in shame. And if you follow the narrative of scripture, which is like one of my favorite things to do when I read the Bible is to go through and look at the big picture story of what's happening. If you're following the narrative of scripture, what you're gonna see is everything is an attempt for God's people to get back to his presence, right? Think about the temple, think about the Ark of the Covenant, think about the tabernacle, think about sacrifice and purity. God's people are trying to get back to his presence. And then God loves the world so much that he sends his son, Jesus, who is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. He makes a way for God to be with us, for us to be reunited, because that's what we were created for. I know I'm using a lot of Disney references, but just top of mind, guys, forgive me. But you know in the movie um, Little Mermaid, when Ariel finds the fork, and she's like, oh my gosh, look at this dingle hopper. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what does she do with it? She starts combing her hair with it. She's combing her hair with it. It's all wrong. And then she sits down at the table later when she's like in the human world, and they start eating their salad with it, and she's like, Oh my gosh, that's what it's for. It's a fork. It's for eating. It's the moment where everything clicks and it's like, ah, this is what's going to happen when we finally are reunited with the Lord, when we're in his presence in heaven. This is the worst example I can think of, but I just want you to understand. I know, there were a few ideas, but I, this is why I, use, I just want you to understand the feeling of all of a sudden something clicking and you're like, oh yeah, this is what I was made for. This is what I was made to be with you, God. And you know what the coolest part is? We're invited to start that right now. We don't have to wait till heaven to encounter the presence of God. We can start it right now. And so if I am going to answer the question that we are after tonight, how do we encounter and experience the presence of God now and await it in heaven, what do we do? I would say that we start with what we started with this morning. 
we seek him. We set our hearts and our minds on him, and as we encounter him, we want more. So I'm going to read this story from Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, open them with me of a guy who does just that. Here's what happens. He seeks the Lord. He encounters him, and then he wants more. I don't have the cheats like Megan, so hang on. She beat me. All right. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. I'm in verse 11. Should probably tell you that. And as he entered a village, verse 12, 10 men with leprosy who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he cleansed. He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. What? <laughs> What's happening in this passage? They, there are 10 men who are calling out to Jesus, Master. They believe that he can do something for them, right? And so they go to him, Lord, heal us, heal us. And he says, go to the priests. And you know what's amazing? All 10 of them obey. Every single one of them listens to Jesus. And they go to the priests, and as they're going, they're healed from their leprosy. But one of them turns back, right? And you know what's interesting about that is what were Jesus' instructions? Go to the priests. So this guy actually ignored Jesus' instructions to go to the priest, and he said, I don't even care about going to the priest. I just want to go back to Jesus. Amen? This guy's like, I just got to, I got to go back to that guy. And what's so significant about going to the priest is this, the priest is the guy who's going to pronounce them clean from their leprosy. So the priest is a guy who's going to say, hey, you are welcome to re-enter society. He is not this leper that goes back to Jesus. He's not thinking about the future. He's not thinking about his life. He's like, I just got to get back to Jesus. I want you to just stop and think about that for a minute because it's easy to talk about it and go, okay, okay, great. But like, just think about COVID for a second. Think about what that felt like to be isolated from people. That was rough. 
that left an emotional impact, a serious impact, right? It took a toll on us. And these lepers, they're off in their own leper community. They're separated from their families. They're separated from their people. They might not even be in their hometown. And this is the moment where they are allowed to re-enter and have that homecoming moment where they imagine after years and years going back to your family. And instead of doing that, this guy runs to the feet of Jesus. He just wants to be back to the presence of Jesus. He gets it. He sees what is right in front of him. And he's the most unsuspecting guy to see it right. He's the Samaritan. And because of it, your faith has made you well. He received not only the physical healing, but the spiritual healing. That's what it is. Because remember, he was already cleansed as he was going. So when Jesus says again, your faith has made you well, he's referring to a whole nother level of healing, a spiritual healing that was found in the presence of God when he came back because he wanted it. And this is what I think happens when we encounter the Lord, you guys. We want more. When we have a minute where we taste and we see how good he is, how faithful he's been to us, we're like, I want to do that again. I was thinking, like, what were some of those moments for me that the Lord has been so faithful where I went, whoa, I just tasted something really good. One stood out to me. I was at a conference. Um, Luis Palau was teaching. He's a Bible teacher that I worked for for a number of years. And um, he was teaching this conference, and he was talking about being faithful in the little things. And I went back to my room, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I want you to entrust me with the big things. How can I be faithful in the little things? What are the little things right in front of me? And he led me to pursue reconciliation in a relationship that I was in by forgiving someone and reaching out and offering forgiveness. They hadn't even asked for forgiveness. And I just reached out and started pursuing it. And it changed my life, you guys. The relationship that was restored out of this, it was so unbelievable to me that God could do that, that he let me be a part of that, that I was like, oh man, I'm gonna do that again. And I feel so much freedom in pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation in relationships now because of it, because I've trusted him and I've seen, whoa, look what he can do. I've experienced it in generosity where the Lord's like, just get this little bit right here. And I see where that goes and what happens with it. And I'm like, oh, that was fun. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. And I want you to stop right now because there's been so many moments I can think of in my life the journey that he's led me on to find my husband or to pursue this, this position. I don't even know what I, like, I'm teaching the Bible now. I was in commercial real estate when I came out of college. I don't know how that happens. But just these small little steps of faith and trust and pursuit, and you're going, okay, Lord, show me more. I'm in. Reveal it to me now. So I want you to just stop for a second. I know this is a little unconventional, but can you just think for a second, what, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, bring something to mind. I want you to cling to a thought right now, a memory, a moment where you encountered the Lord and you were like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that again. I want more. 
And as we keep talking, I want you to imagine this moment. I want you to understand the feelings with it. Go here with me. There's a guy that I, I want to take you to the Old Testament really quick. I know we're bopping around town. But there's a guy that I think of when I think about somebody who trusted God with a little and then a little more and then a little more. And then he looked back and you're like, look at his life. Are you kidding me? And it's Moses. Moses <laughs> is the most unsuspecting guy, right? Think about the circumstances Moses, is, Moses was born into. Slavery. He was supposed to be dead, right? He was supposed to be killed. And then where is he when God picks him up? He's a runaway murderer hiding in the desert. Did you know that? Moses is a runaway murderer hiding in the desert when God picks him up. And God's like, hey, let me show you my presence. And he lights a bush on fire. And Moses is like, wait, what? I love the, the scripture actually says that Moses like leans in a little closer to get a better look. And then the next thing you know, God's using Moses to free an entire people group from Egypt. This is Moses' life over and over again, one step after another. Moses has these radical encounters with God. And it's so cool. He's like, he's bringing the plagues. He's, he's putting his hand in his coat and pulling it out, and it's got leprosy, and he's got the staff. And you guys know all the stories, these moments the rock and the water. I mean, it's like over and over again, these amazing encounters with the presence of God. And Moses is just like along for the ride, like, I'm the guy, I'm doing this. I'm bringing all these plagues. I get to see all this stuff. And then what happens? Moses makes a big old mistake. He hits the rock when he's supposed to speak to the rock and disobeys God, right? And God says, you're not gonna be the one to go to the promised land anymore. And I've always heard this story, okay, you guys? I'm like, here's this guy who's experiencing God. He's encountering God, the presence of God. More and more, he's partnering with God. And then he makes one mistake and he can't go to the promised land. And I'm like, that just feels unfair to me. I've always like really struggled with that part of the story. And I was talking to my husband about it as I was studying the life of Moses this year. And I go, don't you think that's just kind of unfair? That Moses, how could you be a guy who's experienced God in that way and not get to go to the promised land? And you know what my husband said to me? He said, babe, if you've encountered the presence of God in that way, would you even care about the promised land? I know, he said it on me. But it's true, right? The, even the question that I was asking, like, oh, it's, isn't it kind of unfair, reveals that my heart thinks that these things of earth are so important, right? Getting to the promised land is what matters. Moses earned it. He was so good. He did such a good job being God's guy. It reveals that my heart is looking at the things of earth. And when you actually look at the, at the life of Moses, Moses is the guy who got to dip his toe first in the sea and watch it part, yeah. right? Moses is the guy who got to watch God firsthand drop food from heaven. Moses is the guy who got to go onto the top of Mount Sinai and sit in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. That's it, you guys. Moses got it all. Who cares about the promised land? He was walking with God. And I so long to be a person who has the stories and the history. I go, gosh, God, do you remember when you did that thing in my life? 
You know, like your friend when you talk about those old stories and fun memories? Do you remember that? Look at all these things we've done together. Look at where you've led me. And sometimes I look at my life and I go, how on earth did I end up right here? I'll tell you how I did. It's one tiny little step, one tiny little moment where I press into the presence of God and I trust and I have faith. And I'm like, okay, if you say this is good, we're going. I saw you do that last time. And it's a series of stories and moments and you get excited and you catch on and you want to be a part of it. Do you know what I mean? Are you excited? (laughs) And honestly, I kind of think if we don't live with him now, we're just missing out. It's to our own detriment, right? Because the world longs for all these things of God. We want the things of God. We do. The world longs for peace, for joy, for love. We long for them because they're reflections of God, right? We were made for God. But why are we looking around for all these other things to satisfy us when we are invited to the source? I can't figure it out. We women are literally invited to go to the source right now. We don't have to wait till heaven. We're invited to go to the source right now and experience the presence of the Lord. Anxiety. We were just talking about it backstage. Hot topic right now. It's hard. A lot of us experience anxiety. And the world will tell us, what do we have to do to solve anxiety? We need more peace. We need more peace right in our lives to combat anxiety. Let me tell you what I think. I think we need to be reconciled with the God from whom peace flows. Do you see the difference? Are we after the things of God or are we after God? He is peace, right? We need to be reconciled with him. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? You are with me. We long for joy and happiness. We want to experience in our lives. The world does, but not just the world. We do. Women of God, we want joy. Why are we going to the source of joy? Psalm 16 says, in your presence, there is a fullness of joy. All of it is right there with him. Let's go to the source. We want safety and protection, especially as women. Isaiah 43 says, I don't know what exactly, but (laughs) I can't memorize them all. (laughs) When When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. I am the source of your protection and your safety. And how about love? How about love, man? Woman? 1 John 4.16 says God is love. He is the source. St. Augustine has this quote that I just love. And it says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We're going to keep looking. We're going to keep searching until we find the source. And he is the source. And he wants to be with us. 
every good and perfect thing that we recognize in this world is from him. Sent down from the Father of lights, right? Every good and perfect thing. Okay, so I just want you to stop for a minute. Let's slow down. I know I'm going slow, but I mean, seriously, follow me here. We are going to be in heaven with the God from whom all good and perfect things flow. And we're invited to be with that God right now. So why don't we start? I know I've taken you on a little bit of a journey tonight with stories and pictures. We're going in and out of the New Testament and the Old Testament, but I want to go back to Luke chapter 17 really quick because there's these nine people who see what Jesus has to offer. But here's what they do. They just take the money and run, so to speak. They miss the real treasure, right? The nine lepers who got the healing and then took off. The 10th, he knew that Jesus was more valuable than healing. Let's look at the end of that story. Let me read the the last couple of verses here over again. Verse 20. Now Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered and said to them, get this, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst right now. This is such a powerful statement. Don't miss it waiting for heaven. Here I am right now. Do you see me? Here I am right now. When my first child was born, you know the story I told this morning about August, my oldest. Um, it was such a wild moment. I was like in pretty bad shape from the delivery. I was like pretty torn up. There was a lot of blood. We had all of our family there. My family, my husband's family, all of our siblings, all of their families. Everybody's in the waiting room because it was the first grandchild, okay? That didn't happen with number three. But for the first grandchild, everybody's sitting around waiting for hours and hours and hours. And the problem is I'm getting stitched up for over an hour and a half after my delivery with my son, okay? So I'm in there getting stitched up. Everybody's like on pins and needles in the waiting room. When can we go? When can we go? And finally, they open the door for everyone to come in, and everybody's craning over each other to get a look at the baby, that first precious grandchild, except for my mom. She's not looking for the baby. Here's what my mom did. You guys know. She came straight to me. My mom came straight to me, and she held my face in her hands, and she said, I love you, Brooke. And let me tell you, my mom knew about my pregnancy and what I walked through. She knew that I didn't even know if I believed I was going to get to hold this child. She knew the pain of childbirth. She knew it all. She felt it all. She didn't have to say a word. She just looked at me and she said, I love you. And I felt so seen and so loved, and I lost it like a little baby, you guys. Like, I cried when they put my son in my arms. But when my mom did that, it was like everything just came loose. And I just lost it. Here's what I think is going to happen when we get to heaven. I think it's going to be the most beautiful place that we can imagine. More beautiful than we can imagine. 
so beautiful beyond our wildest dreams. But get this. I don't even think we're going to look around when we get there. You know why? We're going to run straight to the Father. That's what makes heaven heaven. We're going to be with the one that we were created for. We're going to go straight to him, you guys. And he's going to grab our face in his hands. He's going to say, I love you. And in that moment, everything will be made right. All of our attention, our body. I can't wait for this moment where everything just gravitates to him. And we just run or we fall on our face before him. <sighs> to be reunited with him is going to be the sweetest gift. But you know what's going to make it so sweet? You know, what is going to make that moment so special is that we have a whole lifetime of love and trust and experiences with him on earth that lead us there. There's a whole life building up to it. That's what's going to make it so special. That we have this foundation. We know each other. He knows me. We have that relationship. That's what made that moment so Special for my mom and I in the hospital. We knew each other. Some of us, I think we've said yes to Jesus. We believe in what he's offering us. But then we just kind of took the money and ran. You know? And he's like, no, no. That's never what I intended. I wanted you to be with me the whole time. I made you to be with me. Where are you going? Are you missing out on what I have for you now? Megan shared that verse last night. I'm looking for the last page of my talk. It's not even here. I don't need it. There's something in Galatians 2 about... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. <laughs> About walking with God by faith. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of that is not that it's, it's not a moment, it's not a prayer, a one-time thing. That's never what he intended. He intended for us to commune with him for life. To walk by faith means that we're living with him, Right? And scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. And that is a powerful moment. But what happens after that? That's not the end. That's a beginning. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us in how to walk with God. We have the presence of God with us. And the Holy Spirit is our comfort and our joy right on into eternity. Amen? So I want us to just take a moment and stop. I want us to just close our eyes and go before the Lord. Father, 
We want to be with you. We long to be with you. You made us to be with you. We don't want to miss out on what you're inviting us to do. Father, forgive us for receiving the gift of salvation and then thinking that was it and going on our way, Lord. Some of us want to pray right now, Lord, that you would show us how to encounter you, how to walk with you, how to start to collect those stories of faith and trust and love in hope for and leading up to that moment where we're face to face with you. And you say our name and you hold our face and you embrace us with love in heaven, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your invitation constantly. You're never disappointed. Lord, you just say, hey, I'm just here. I've been waiting for you. I'm so glad that you want to walk with me now. So as we just sit with the Lord now, I want to ask us to respond. It wouldn't be right if we, just, if we didn't take a moment to just be in his presence right now. You don't have to have your Bible to be in the presence of God. You don't have to be in a certain spot in your house or your car. You don't have to be at church. You simply call out to him and you say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And I like to ask the question, what do you want me to know? We can do that anytime, anywhere. So we do it right now, Lord. And as we spend some time with you tonight in different ways, opening the word of God and reading your words in red in the New Testament, Jesus, or singing out in worship with joy or praying in community with the sisters in Christ who are in our life or in our row or getting on our knees and confessing or sitting in silence and listening. All I know for certain is that you want to meet us here. You want to meet each of these women tonight. And I ask that you would. I ask that they would feel your presence so tangibly, Lord. I ask that they would have an encounter with you tonight that leaves them wanting more. And then more. And then more and then more and then more. All the way into eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen.